Welcome, everyone, to Season 4, Episode 131 of the Premiere Pod. I'm your host, Yashbika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. And this video, or this podcast at least, is a bit uh, interesting because we're actually recording this on a Thursday morning. We usually don't record our podcast on the morning time. Usually we try to go for late afternoon or in the night after we're done with work, but some scheduling issues. So now we're recording an early morning pod. So excuse us if uh, we're still trying to wake up <laughs> in the middle of the podcast, but um, this is the best time that worked for us. But we're excited because actually um, some big news dropped in the Premier League this morning uh, with Aston Villa announcing Steven Gerrard as their new uh, head coach, the former Liverpool legend who is now who used to coach um, Rangers in the Scottish Premier League and took them to the and won the title for them and actually won the title over Celtic who've been who had like a nine-year winning streak winning the title in the Scottish League um Stephen uh Gerard came in won the title for Rangers in that one uh last season and like it was a crazy record he had but now he's back in the Premier League uh one of like the hotter names in the coaching world and now he has a chance to basically see if he's ready to bait maybe in the coming years, be Klopp's successor at Liverpool if he does a really good job with Villa. It was really interesting to see from basically a week out, see Dean Smith, the former Aston Villa manager, get sacked because of just a poor string of games. Basically five losses in a row, which for Villa, I mean, back in the days, it's like, all right, that's like kind of normal. But I guess these days, you know, they have higher ambitions and also five games now if they start seeing a trend be like you know what maybe it'd be best to get rid of the manager now and then get in some new blood to maybe help with a relegation avoid like avoiding relegation later on in the season because like mm-hmm. you never know like these could be an ongoing trend and bring in steve eg it could be something good for them because ever since he lost jack Grealish too to man city it's like man aston villa haven't been as strong as before which kind of makes sense but also mm-hmm. Maybe they do need that new manager, that new kind of vision just to see, all right, how else can we set up now to continue to find success and try to get back into those European competitions again? So Stevie G, you know, as Yosh just mentioned, he was doing really well in the Scottish Premier League. He basically brought Rangers out of the grave. Like they're kind of struggling as the main Celtic rival. Like they weren't really putting much of a fight for the past several seasons before he came in. But after Stevie G brought in some lone players from Liverpool, brought in some former Premier League players into the fray and into that starting 11, they started doing a lot better. And, you know, it's a little weird to kind of see and judge how Stevie G actually was doing because it is the Scottish Premier League. And there's really just one main powerhouse, (laughs) which was Celtic. So it's like, was he actually doing well or was it kind of just a fluke? And I feel like this Aston Villa... He did do pretty good in the Europa League. He did get some upsets. That's true. And that's also... It is like a one-off competition at the same time. So it's kind of like a Mm Jose Mourinho effect. Maybe it's like he's just really good at those. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say Europa League. He did have some pretty decent results. I can't think of them, any particular ones off the top of my head. But yeah, this Villa gig is going to be a very good kind of measuring tape, a a litmus test to see if it's actually going to pay off. Yeah. So... I'm kind of interested to see how he does. And I don't know what the goal for Stevie G is for Aston Villa right now, but I would assume at least it is avoiding relegation and then hopefully going for a Europa League spot if they could. Mm-hmm. But it'll be cool. And then it'll be cool to see Stevie G back in the Premier League as a manager, of course. And a big calendar date to mark on your calendars <laughs> is December 11th, Liverpool versus Aston Villa when he returns to see Liverpool, the old side. It's going to be weird. It was even weird just seeing him in those photos of him holding the Aston Villa scars and all those <laughs> colors and the jersey. I'm like, oh gosh, it's kind of like when he went to LA Galaxy during the mm-hmm. end of his career. I'm like, that that's just weird. I can't ah. <laughs> it's like seeing Messi in a PSG jersey. It just doesn't look right. But mm-hmm. we'll see how he goes. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how he how he does. I think um, I think for at least this season, I think they the the start they've had. I think it maybe puts them out of the running for maybe a European competition maybe they could sneak into the Europa Conference League but I feel like just staying up or getting mid-table would be a decent goal for Stevie G this season but when he gets past this I think you know from the football and the you know type of play that he was doing at Rangers um, I'm excited to see what he does with Aston Villa because if he can perform well here um, I know you had mentioned this uh, maybe 
last season. Um, but the talks of like Jurgen Klopp, you know, obviously Jurgen Klopp is not going to be at Liverpool forever. And right now he's still, I think he's still on like a couple more years on his contract. Um, mm-hmm. Whether he resigns like a contract extension, I know, you know, it would be like Liverpool fan lore if, you know, Stevie G does well here and then basically has like the Premier League experience, maybe gets close to winning a trophy with Aston Villa that he comes back. The Liverpool legendary player comes back and basically becomes, you know, a next legendary coach for Liverpool. doesn't happen all the time. You know, we see like former players that have, you know, legendary status in the game sometimes don't make it as coaches. But, you know, that would be a cool one if like maybe if he does really well here, maybe Liverpool start lining him up as the next successor for Klopp. I mean, he'd have to be a really good manager <laughs> for Aston Villa to take over for Stevie G. Like, as in, like, he has to, you know, have the credentials to get into Champions League with Aston Villa, even, like, challenge for the title or something crazy. Because, like, if you think about it, that's what Klopp did with Dortmund. Like, Dortmund, you know, they weren't, like, to the levels of Aston Villa, where it's, like, they're kind of just wandering around mid-table. But Klopp helped win Dortmund a title. And then ultimately in the Champions League, you know, like their run that they went through to even make it to, I believe, like the Champions League final. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that's the that's the bar that's been set. And now since Liverpool are back challenging for the title pretty consistently now, it's like, all right, we need to make sure whoever does come in for Klopp in a few seasons from now has all that credibility and the credentials and, you know, the resume to back it. Mm-hmm. And it'd be a little foolish to be like, you know what? CVG is a legend. Let's just bring him in. Cause then I know it could be like an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer situation (laughs) where it's like, Oh boy, what do we do? Should have kept David Moyes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, it's a, it's definitely out there, you know, and that, but you know, like you said, the litmus test is there to see how he does now. Now that he's out, out of the Scottish premiership and see how he does in the premier league now um, with Ashton Villa, which is a decently sized club with, you know, that's backed Dean Smith with a lot of money. Now let's see if they back Stevie G with a lot of money and what they can mm-hmm. do in terms of transfer situations. But that was the big news that happened today. Um, Stevie G being announced as Aston Villa's manager. But yeah, so going into last week's results, um, as we mentioned on last week's pod, there was a couple big games. The uh, first one obviously being the Manchester Derby. Um, I had actually predicted that, I think I predicted that City would win 2-0 or 2-1. Um, and that scoreline ended up coming true where City dominated Manchester United Old Trafford 2-0. It was pretty much an easy 2-0 win for City. It started off with the Eric Bailly own goal in the first eight minutes and then from there City just was just on cruise control and was just passing around uh, almost like it was a training um, you know a training exercise. yeah a training exercise for them like Liverpool did to United a couple weeks back in the second half so you know it, it was you know Manchester United had literally one shot I think um, there was a stat they only had one shot and they only had maybe six or so possessions in Manchester City's box, which is one of the lowest um, United have had at Old Trafford against an opponent ever. So it was a pretty damning display. No really enthusiasm in the attack. The The three back that Solskjaer had implemented in the uh, Tottenham game, when he implemented the Man City game, the players just looked very lost. They didn't look very cohesive or connected as a unit. And... We saw in the second half, maybe in the first 10 minutes, it looked a little bit better when they switched to maybe a back four. But even then, uh, you could tell that the the team has just kind of been like shape-shifted too much to the point where they're just kind of trying out new things as the season goes. And, you know, this just reminds me too much of Jose Mourinho's final season at Manchester United when um, things weren't going well. So he was just shape-shifting the team a lot where he was playing, you know, you know, at times maybe Andrew Herrera as a back three or Scott McTominay as a back three playing, you know, a back three, a back four, you know, maybe playing Pogba as a pivot player, then playing Pogba as a cam, then dropping Pogba, then, you know, dropping Lukaku, playing Marcus Rashford and Martial. It was just, there was no cohesion. It was just all kind of, what can I do to maybe save my job for the next week? And right now I think Solskjaer is kind of on that train of just, trying out new things to see what can he do to save his job or what can he do to get a reaction. And unfortunately, if you do that, that's not really going to win you a title or get you anywhere close to top four or, you know, competing for Champions League spots because then you're constantly shape-shifting the team. There's no really chemistry or link-up play that can get get formulated. And that's been the big problem with Manchester United is that um, this season, at least, when Solskjaer has come up against big managers or big teams, he's kind of struggled to kind of mash them tactically and he you know he's just kind of 
and essentially he's just trying to make do or he's just trying to make up for the fact that he's not there tactically with those managers and just trying to maybe rely on the quality, individual quality of his players and putting them up that way. But unfortunately, as we've seen, that's not going to win you a title and, you know, United are just a shell of themselves. But yeah, it was a, it was a pretty damning display. It was just not a very good display at all. It was, I would say like it was arguably worse than Liverpool because City, um, had so many chances and David De Gea, I mean, he pretty much kept United. He kept the scoreline respectable because he made at least five or six saves in the first half to keep him in the game. Um, but if City had their scoring boots on, they could have easily made it 6-0, 7-0. You know, it could have been really bad, but City just were, just did not have that final touch to score. And that's the only reason the scoreline is 2-0. So scoreline is deceiving for the performance. I mean, even they had to help... City with uh, Eric Bailly scoring that first one goal. Yeah. And it was kind of big props to Eric Bailly. He put one of those like apology <laughs> tweets and he put his own. I yeah. saw him, put his, <laughs> he own, put his pitch, own picture of him scoring own, the own goal. Oh, I just don't understand it. <laughs> that was insane. I was like, man, I, I, I know you you made like a reply tweet. It's like big props to <laughs> Eric Bailly for kind of putting himself out there. But I mean, that whole defense in itself, it looks so nonchalant. I was like, this is a Manchester Derby. And some of them were just kind of wandering around. I'm like, that second goal that Man City scored is because like they just weren't like that whole Man United defense were just not on top of it. Like they weren't like kind of actively looking and trying to get the ball out of there. It was just very much like, all right, you got it. No, no, you got it. It's like literally like kind of same things we saw in the Liverpool game where it's just there wasn't anyone kind of actively hunting for the ball and kind of looking for it. Yeah. It's kind of like... um. I was watching this like tactics video from Xavi while he's at outside. And then he was kind of describing his like, you know, pretend the ball's like your treasure, not like a bomb. But for men United, it looked like the whole defense was like, I don't want to touch that ball. <laughs> it's like, yeah. don't even give it to me. Yeah, that's so that was a, that was a pretty bad like second goal because whether David De Gea like shouted to, like you know, stay away for the ball so he could grab it. I don't There was just definitely a, like a big big line of miscommunication because Harry Maguire left it, Luke Shaw left it, and that's what allowed Bernardo Silva to just do a little tap to get it past De Gea. And, and there was a video actually um, from Old Trafford. Someone took a video of De Gea when he was going through the tunnel and he like smacked like the top, uh, just like the the thing to go into the tunnel. He yeah, like, like smacked like it really hard. Out of, like yeah, out of, out of the field. Yeah, out of I saw like that too. pure frustration. And I, I feel really bad for him because he's been, you know, out of all the players that have been at Manchester United, he's been there since, you know, since um, Sarlax Ferguson brought him in in like 2011. And he stayed with the club this whole time. I know there was that one or two seasons where there was a chance for him going to Real Madrid. But um, ultimately, he was really close to joining them. But the whole transfer fiasco with the tax machine, not, you know, or the fax machine, <laughs> fax not, machine. <laughs> not processing the paper on time, which meant that he signed a long-term contract with United. And he's been basically here through all these dark periods of Louis van Hall, the dark periods of Jose Mourinho, the upside of Oligana Solskjaer, and now like this down period with Solskjaer. And I, I do feel really bad for him because I know his form has dropped um, a little bit in the past couple of seasons, but ultimately he stayed loyal to the club and has, you know, kept performing and, you know, just kind of been there for everyone else while everyone else is kind of like either transferred away or just have done their own thing. He's been the one that stayed and, it is unfortunate to see someone like that, you know, never seeing the benefits of staying that long. You never, you know, not getting a trophy or, you know, anything in return except like, you know, getting the big contract. But uh, it was uh, it was frustrating to see. And I think there was also reports that um, whether these are true or not, I think part partially they are true. But that uh, a lot of the United players feel that Solskjaer plays favorites with certain players and keeps playing them. And I think that's definitely true. I think the likes of, you know, Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw. Um, there's a couple others that are going through my mind, like Fred Probably and McCominay, <laughs> um, you know, like the McFred duo. A lot of those guys, they have been underperforming this season, yet they keep starting. They, they keep becoming regulars in the starting 11, but rather it, it just kind of baffles me because we have the likes of Alex Tellis on the bench who could come in and, you know, potentially do a job at left back. You could potentially put Donny van de Beek, play Jesse Lingard, um, you know, play like one of the, McFred and then play either Donny van de Beek or, or Jesse Lingard next to them to mix up the squad and see what you can get out of the players that you're not playing anymore. Um, 
it, it just doesn't make sense why he's playing favorites with players that have just been so out of form this season because sometimes out of form players, maybe they're just wanting to just get on it. Like maybe they just want to be on the bench because sometimes being on the bench can kind of help, you know, kind of rewake or kind of just help you realize like, oh crap, I'm really out of form right now and I need to, you know, get on my grind again because sometimes when you just get complacent and you just keep starting the same players, the mistakes just keep happening. And I think um, McGuire and Shaw have been a victim of that because they just look nothing like the players we saw in Euro 2020 where they were just, you know, key consistent defenders for England, for the English national team. Uh, for United, they look like, you know, mid-table or, you know, relegation level defenders at times right now with the mistakes they've been making. And I feel like, you know, every player goes through slumps, even like De Gea. In the past few seasons, like there was right after he didn't go to Real Madrid, there was times where it was like, all right, maybe De Gea's lost his prime. Even like two seasons ago, it was like, man, everything that was shot at him just went in like P rollers, like <laughs> defensive errors from or goalkeeper errors from him. Like everything's going on. And then even for right now, like he's back, he's back you know, it's old De Gea ways, but right now, as you were mentioning, is like, it's Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire kind of now in, in some of their own. And originally going into the season, everything was looking on the, on the upside. It was like the clouds are parting. The sun's coming out. <laughs> they got Ronaldo, you know, Bruno's coming off like a hot season and they were just second in the Premier League. It's like every, everything should be looking good, but it's just the wheels have really just come off this season. And I feel like it's just kind of that loss of competition as you mentioned, because like, you know, Donnie Van der Beek, the man who's just in purgatory for just no reason <laughs> at this point, just besides favoritism. And then it's just hard to explain. It's like literally you have Ronaldo and he can't carry enough to like get results every single week. And it's just right now, I feel like they're just kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. And that's what Joe is kind of doing. He's kind of like in desperation mode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this week it didn't work, obviously. But yeah, and the, the, what makes it worse is that um, in terms of, you know, actually firing the manager or sacking the manager, a lot of people thought, OK, maybe they didn't do it for the Liverpool game because they still had the Champions League match and then the Manchester Derby and the Tottenham game. But they thought a lot of people thought, OK, now going into the international break, a lot of teams time tend to make their managerial changes during this time because it allows the manager at least a little bit more time to get settled in and, um, you know get stuck in with the players, but all the reports are right now, they, they, the board wants to stick with Solskjaer and there's been no indication from Joel Glazer, who's the head of the Glazer family um, that can make that final call to sack the manager. There's no indication that he wants to do that. Um, they want to stick with Solskjaer and ride it out and see if he can get past his um, minor blimp. But from the outside, literally everyone I know, um, Gary Neville has stayed pretty loyal to Solskjaer in terms of, you know, wanting him to stay and just giving him time. But I think so. Like Gary Neville has said that he was like that with David Moyes. He's been that with pretty much every manager besides Jose. Um, Rio Ferdinand, however, has called out that he thinks that Solskjaer should get the sack or someone else should come in. Um, and it is tough because I know a lot of um, the United pundits that are now, you know, pundits out in the broadcast world. A lot of them did play with Solskjaer back in the day, so they are good buddies with them. But I think a lot of them are starting to see that, hey, you know, Solskjaer is a good man, but he did a really good job of getting United to where they are now where they can start, you know, they had their squad to compete for trophies and, you know, be a consistent player in the Premier League, but he's not the guy to take them that next step, you know, to get them to that, to that title. And, you know, Paul Scholes has kind of put out his worries. Uh, Rio Ferdinand has put out his worries. Um, there's the, there's been some others. I know Roy Keane has kind of been on 50, 50 and, you know, just kind of been on the, the swing of like Solskjaer should go. So I think a lot of people, pretty much everyone on the outside can see that Solskjaer, unfortunately, he's a good guy. He did a really good job, but it's time to move on from him and bring someone else in that can, you know, provide that spark and also provide that clear vision on how to win a title. Because unfortunately, Solskjaer as a manager just can't do it. Um, and there have been reports that apparently Ralph Rachnick, um, he was a German coach that actually in started or he invented the gig in press and Jurgen Klopp and other famous German coaches like Tuchel Klopp um, have taken um, Ragnit's studies and, you know, kind of implemented them own like their own into like their managerial, um, you know, tactical ways. And he's kind of been like a tactical genius in the German Bundesliga. He actually uh, coached RB Leipzig during the 
I believe 2017 or 2016 till 2019 um, season. Um, he was like the RB Leipzig's manager. So he helped them through, you know, getting close to winning the Bundesliga in the Europa League. But he was someone that has been, I guess, reported to be the manager um, or come in as an interim basis. And right now he's like a sporting director with Loco- Locomotive Moscow. But um, apparently the reports yesterday or two days ago were that the Glazers don't want him because apparently Ragnick, if he came in, he would want full control of, he would step in as an interim manager. And then basically he would want to become the sporting director and help, you know, basically have full control over how United handle their transfers and like a clear, like clear footballing vision or board of like how they want to be as a football club. But of course, like the Glazers family, they, they don't want that. They, they want yes men in the, uh, in the board that will just like listen to whatever they say. So, of course, that was never going to happen. And because of that, that's probably not going to that's not going to look likely as a hire, even though it would be a really good one, I think, on an interim basis. And right now, it's like reportedly that the United board are really keen on bringing Brendan Rodgers in from Leicester. Um, they really like the work he's done there and they think that he could be the man to be um, take United to the next step. However, I think they said that maybe there's a way they could get him to come in as an interim basis, but it might have to be like they write out Solskjaer and then get Brendan Rodgers in to come in next season. But to me, I don't know if that's the right move because I know we mentioned before that, you know, you think Brendan Rodgers is a good manager, but maybe it's because he's at Leicester City where the expectations aren't too high. I know he won the FA Cup and he he does have that factor of winning a trophy over Solskjaer. But, you know, we saw what he did at Liverpool, but maybe, you know, maybe it's some, sometimes a, a manager needs a second chance and you know, maybe he's learned a lot more at Leicester City. I know he hasn't really crossed the line in terms of getting him into the Champions League, but maybe with United's quality of players and, you know, his clear vision of playing, maybe maybe he could be the one to take us to the next step. But I, I don't know. I think the United fan, faithful at least are like at least 50-50 split on whether they're confident enough that he could be the guy to take him to the next step. I still don't think Brandon Rogers is the right guy for <laughs> like a big team. He did kind of come over that big game syndrome where I feel like he couldn't win the big games for Liverpool. Yeah. Like in maybe like a Europa League final or if it was a big matchup in the Premier League, it'd be like a nil-nil. Like that's how like historically, you know, Manchester (laughs) United versus Liverpool games where it was always just like nil-nil. But, you know, he kind of overcame that with that FA Cup win with Leicester. And I was like, all right, well, he, he proved himself now. But at the same time, he hasn't really played enough superstars, I feel like, on his squad to really merit and kind of show that he can immediately find success if you were to go to a Manchester United, for example, because that's what man you need right now. They need a manager that can win right now just because they have Ronaldo mm-hmm. and they have players kind of exiting the the near ends of their prime, like De Gea as well. So it's like they can't really afford to give it a season or two. It's like, all right, they got to win it like this season or next season at least. So I don't think Brandon Rogers is the guy. I think he'll do better than Solskjaer, but not too much better. It'll be a little tantalizing again. It'll be like, oh, I got semifinals. Oh, I got third place, second place. <laughs> It'll be kind of situations like that. Because I, I still feel like at times he does play a little conservative mm-hmm. when it comes to like a big match or a final in terms of like formation, his starting 11. But he definitely, I feel like, won't play favorites given that there is a big famous debacle between him and Raheem Sterling back in the day. <laughs> but I think uh, for United, they're kind of in a pickle because they had Conte like on, on the wings, like ready to go. And then, you know, Tottenham famously yoinked them last week mm-hmm. and took that from them. So I think for United, they're just at this point, I think they should just ride it out. As a Liverpool fan, I feel like they should just keep Solskjaer, but <laughs> <laughs> But also at the same time, it's like they don't really have like a plan. I feel like if they were to bring someone in, it's like, is it going to be even messier? Because right now, I don't know if Solskjaer understands if he's going to stay for a while. That's why he's going to just throwing random things at the wall and kind of changing his tactics. It looks like every single game. But for like who would take his place is like, I don't know if whoever comes in even knows they're going to be the next manager. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, does anyone even have a plan? Does anyone know what they're doing and i feel like for manchester united right now it's just so confusing it's just no one knows what's going on so at this point i think this should just be definitive and just be like you know what we'll just give soul shard the full gig 
Like, because like they said that he has three games to save his job, and now it's been the three games, but like there's been no talks of like what's gonna happen. Yeah. So I feel like at this point they have to make a decision. It's like, all right, you know, give Solskjaer the full reins for the rest of the season, and then it's like, or at least he knows at that point. All right, I can set up my tactics to not be as crazy and feel like my job's on the line. Or just be like, all right, we're getting a new manager and then just have that new manager come in and just pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's crazy that uh, the our former Leipzig manager is now sporting director at Locomotive Moscow. Of all teams, yeah. Locomotive Moscow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently. But he's really good in terms of um, as a manager, but also like a tactical overseer of the club and kind of the, mm-hmm. where you want to take the football club, being that sporting director to control transfers and control how training and everything like that goes. Um, I've heard, I've just read a lot of good reports and everything on him, but I mean, I think that's been the problem I've said before. And a lot of United fans have said before that they just feel like there's just no plan um, put in place by the Glazers and the Glazers themselves probably don't care because, you know, they got like a ton of money when they signed Ronaldo from shirt sales and uh, you know, their stock price is going up. So I think for the Glazers, as long as they continue to make a ton of money and they can milk out a ton of money, they just probably don't care enough to worry about what's going on on the football pitch. So, um, you I know, sometimes stock. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna check that. I was like, yeah. it's probably it? not doing too hot right now, but you never know with their commercial dealings that they, they they always just get some 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 sort of big stock to come in. Is it Manchester PLC? Is that what it is? It's just so. Man U stock ticker. I think right so. Here. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not <laughs> well, sure. if it is, it's $16 a share, <laughs> which is okay. But, I mean, they, they hit a high over the summer of 20. I guess that's when Ronaldo came in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's just kind of goofy to see they even have stocks. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's just the thing. Like, the Glazers, they don't make a move unless it hurts their pockets. Um, unless there's a fear that they won't qualify for Champions League, that's when they start making moves because once they don't get that Champions League money, then they start getting all scared and nervous. But that's always been the crux. I think what will be interesting if Solskjaer is the manager, I think you might see a lot of Glazers out protests going on um, outside Old Trafford or um, within the stadium or um you know, the banners that fly through the planes. I think you could definitely see a lot of that in the coming home games for sure, because I think United fans are just really fed up with the uh, lack of vision when it comes to the footballing side of the, uh, of the team. But mm-hmm. that's enough and for lack of aggression too. Yeah. It's just like, this, you know, we'll give you three more games. Yeah. It's like why? hesitancy. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know what you're going to get. Yeah. So it's so. that, that, that hesitancy is just what's been killing them. So I don't know. We'll see. I think, uh, you know, I've been on this rant before about Manchester United. It's just, you know, we have the players just don't have the the vision to take us forward. And I think that's the problem. But uh, yeah, City City ended up winning the Derby 2-0, dominating fashion. But moving on to the West Ham-Liverpool game, which actually turned into kind of a thriller. West Ham beating Liverpool 3-2. And da- David Moyes now has West Ham United in third place in the Premier League, which is a pretty big thing. Um they're kind of crashing the Premier League party. I don't know. I don't really think they're going to be consistent enough to like stay in the Premier League title race, but I think they can definitely be consistent enough to maybe challenge for top four or the fourth place or um, challenge again for Europa League because they are a very well put together side with solid players, um, solid formation. They have Declan Rice, who's been on fire this season, one of the best players in the Premier League. Uh, Saad Barry, or um, Barry, how do you? Ben Rama. Yeah, Ben Rama um, has been really, really solid. Mikel Antonio has been so solid. Kurt Zuma has been kind of a stalwart defensively uh, for them. They just have solid players all around. They just have good, good quality players, West Ham do. And David Moyes has found a system that suits them. And I know he put a point here about uh, him not getting a full season at Manchester United and whether he was, uh, he should have been getting more time um, and more backing. Uh, this is kind of been a conversation and I think a lot of United fans have kind of put that question out there. Should he have been given more time? But ultimately, I think not because I think David Moyes kind of falls in the same realm as maybe a Brendan Rodgers type where West Ham, you know, excuse me, West Ham fans, but, you know, 
when you start the Premier League season, your goal is to never win. The expectation is never to win the Premier League title. The expectation is like, hey, let's make sure we get in the top half of the table. And now in the recent season, it's like, okay, can we at least make a fight for Conference League or Europa League? And then if we get really lucky and have a really good season, it's like, oh, can we get Champions League? Like last season, there was no expectation of getting the Champions League. It was like for a couple couple weeks, they were in the fourth place of the Champions League spots and everyone was like, oh my God, they're going to get Champions League. And then you saw they started to struggle or they made a couple errors or, you know, the thought of those big expectations kind of got to them and they started making some silly errors to ruin their chances. And I think with David Moyes, I think that's the same uh, predicament he's in because when he was at Everton, it was kind of the same formula where he was never really going to challenge for the title when you had the likes of Liverpool, United, Arsenal, Chelsea. Those four teams were always going to be up there challenging for titles and being the big boys. And Everton were just there to kind of knock the big boys off their perch occasionally or just, you know, kind of throw in the the gut punch here and there to like shake up the title race. And I think David Moyes is really good is that really good at, at being that type of manager um, because the way he sets up his team is to kind of sit back, um, you know, play on the counterattack or occasionally play high pressing moments at certain points in the game. But when you play for a big club like Manchester United, there's the expectation that you're going to be on the front foot all the time. You're going to play attacking football. You know, you're going to come into these big matchups with no fear and play your best team um, against the best opposition. And that expectation, and once you throw those expectations and kind of that big pressure, that's when you see a lot of managers kind of get scared and, you know, they get, they start making some weird errors or they start doing some weird things because all of a sudden, like when the pressure gets to you, that's when you start that's just ultimately like how you're judged as a manager. And I think for David Moyes in those big pressure situations, when the club were at the size of Manchester United, um, he just couldn't perform. And there was like one game against Fulham where he put in like, I think like 27 crosses and there was zero goals and Fulham ended up winning, I think two, one or two nil. So unfortunately David Moyes, he's a good manager, but definitely I don't think he's just, I don't think he's good enough to be a, a manager for Chelsea, Liverpool, uh, Manchester City or Manchester United. Um, I think he's worst time is like the perfect level for him. Man, it's like it's all of those former big <laughs> managers, <laughs> like you know Brandon Rogers and now David Moyes. You kind of segment into that little. It's like nah, they they're good where they are. Like <laughs> like this, the, David Moyes was made for like a West Ham kind of team. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Like if you think about it, you know back in the days, there's this famous meme of David Moyes in his office. Of him just smiling at the camera and the caption on the picture was, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) That literally is like how it is. But at the same time, too, there is some like some merit to that kind of statement where it's like David Moyes also wasn't given like a full season and didn't get as much backing as like, say, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yet Mm -hmm. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has lasted, you know, three seasons now. He spent a buttload of money and has Ronaldo now and still kind of struggling yet he still is like yeah well we can probably keep him mm-hmm. like david moyes is just immediately fired <laughs> so that's also the thing too and he was also handpicked by sir alex ferguson he's like you know what this is my next successor the next scottish man that take over for me mm-hmm. but, i mean it, it has taken a while for david moyes to kind of rebound from that too because like we haven't yeah, really was, talked about he him. was at sunderland then he was at like real sociedad right yeah real he, sociedad yeah he was he's kind of been like thrown around the managerial like he has the ring power. And then finally, I feel like now he finally has his full power again. Cause he was actually at West Ham before saved them mm-hmm. from relegation. They were just like, no, nah, we're not keeping you. And then they finally brought him back again. And I'm also surprised that he's doing this well without Messi Lingard. <laughs> Cause like literally last season, that's when their season, I feel like kind of turned around. They were kind of mm-hmm. like hovering in the top half of the table. But after they got, you know, Jesse Lingard, that's when, you know, they went full power. It's like, oh, this is when they could be like a dark horse to get into the Champions League. And that's when we're just kind of joking. It's like, what if they win the title? <laughs> it's like just out of the blue random. But, you know, without Messi, Lingardino this season, they're still right now in third place. And, you know, it's it really is hammer time. It's just they play so well on set pieces. It's like something I haven't really noticed with them. It's kind of like when Brighton were in the top half of the table and I was like, oh. Oh, (laughs) I didn't realize, but West Ham are doing the same thing right now, but they're just in there a little longer third place, which is crazy to say they're above Arsenal. They're above Tottenham, above Man U. Like they're literally, it's like they're shooting above their, their pay range Mm -hmm. and above like the expectations. But it's just like, how long are they going to be there? I don't think it's going to be that long, but I still think (laughs) it's, it's a key 
to talk about the fact that they beat Liverpool 3-2. Yeah. And it was mainly from just being physical. It felt like it, it, it had a slight Burnley-esque kind of vibe to it where it's just like, you know what, we're going to beat you on set pieces and also beat you physically. Because Liverpool, I feel like at times they're just kind of out-muscled or just beaten on set pieces because like, you know, that's what West Ham's bread and butter was. Whereas, you know, Liverpool, they're a lot more in terms of open play and getting goals from Gengen press and kind of catching you on a high press and then going for a quick counterattack. And for West Ham this game and under David Moyes, they're very much like, you know, we know we don't have as much skillful players. We don't have the high degree of players that can, yeah you know, match up to a Liverpool side one-on-one. Like if you were to do those kind of comparisons, where it's like, are right, you have the starting 11 with the West Ham and starting <laughs> 11 at Liverpool. And then like, which players would you pick? It's like, all right, which left winger would you pick between the two teams? It's like, it'll probably be Liverpool players across the entire thing. If yeah. You were to do a combined squad. But, you know, West Ham played to their advantages. It's like, all right, we have literally Kurt Zuma in like Ogbana, like two of the biggest center backs in the Premier League. And then we have, you know, Mikel Antonio, one of the most physical strikers up there. It's like, what can we do to like kind of play those strengths? And then it was from set pieces. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I will say Liverpool have been exploited with their kind of lack of defensive consistency between the past several games. Because like if you think about it, from that historic Liverpool run when they won the title, like they barely conceded goals. It was like every game I feel like was almost a clean sheet. Yeah. But this season, you know, they're conceding goals to Brighton. They're conceding goals to Brentford, famously. They that three three draw. They're conceding goals to I mean, of course Man City, but like in that Atletico Madrid game, that first oh, like yeah. they were like up two nil. Yeah, they're up two nil and they conceded two, like right right immediately. I was like, what is going on? That's something that you usually wouldn't see from Liverpool side, especially with Van Dyke back. Yeah. It's like, what is going on? So I think that is the main thing is the bigger thing is Liverpool. They conceded two or they scored two and they could have won with just two goals. But the the fact that they conceded three goals, like that's that's kind of big against like a West Ham side who, you know, all respect to West Ham who are now in third. <laughs> it's like the, Liverpool, they should not be conceding that many goals yeah. in a game at all. So there's been this kind of conversation that's kind of been brought up where, you know, Liverpool aren't as defensively consistent and it may be because they don't have like a genie one them. They don't have a player that can, can, that can consistently transition them from defense to offense as well as genie one them did for mm-hmm. Liverpool. And, my argument, I think, for that at the beginning of the season or at the end of last season was like, well, maybe they have so many midfielders now, like Curtis Jones, Keita, or Nabi Keita, and then Diago, that, you know, maybe about one of them, one of those players can kind of take his spot and kind of do their own thing. Might not be a, a complete same one on one or one for one swap where it's like, all right, Genie Wadon was always like the man to do defensive switch to offense whenever they're transitioning. Maybe it'll be Curtis Jones doing something a little different or maybe a little bit of mix where it's like Keita I know is a lot better in terms of just creativity. They'll bring a little something different to the team. Mm-hmm. But not having that transition player, like Fabinho hasn't been able to do it. Henderson hasn't been able to do it. It's gotten Liverpool caught a few times if the team were to high, if the opposition were to high press like West Ham did in this game. There were several times Mikel Antonio was like on like a runaway one-on-one with Ali Sun. It's just like his his touch kind of got away from him. That dribbling is probably going to go down in FIFA. Like his, his stats are going to go down from there. But it was it was a little alarming. I was like, what is going on with this Liverpool defense? So it's kind of hard to kind of figure out why it's still taking this long to kind of figure out how to avoid that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, well, there are little talks and rumors that Wijnaldum might come back to the <laughs> Premier League, to Liverpool, because, you know, at PSG, he's not really having a swell time. He doesn't start really getting... that consistently. He only scored his, like, first two goals um, actually this past week in the Champions League before yeah, the exactly. national break. So it's like he hasn't really done as much, made as much impact as he has. It's kind of like Messi right now at PSG, where it's mm-hmm. just like zero goal, zero league goals, zero league assists. <laughs> seven games played, double seven right here. I saw yeah. that meme on twitter or something but <laughs> literally it's kind of like the same situation for ronaldo too he's like if messi can do it it's like when not be able to do it either and 
you know, maybe he could come back for half a season and kind of be like, yo, yo, y'all ain't doing my job right. <laughs> losing to West Ham right now. But at the same time, you know, you still have to give some credit to West Ham, where it's just they're, I, they're doing something special this season. I, 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 I still don't think they're going to stay top four, as you said. Yeah, I thought um, Thiago was like um, a Wijnaldum player where he can kind of go back and forth, like kind of be transition. Or is he yeah. just too, is he too attacking? It's just also injury prone. <laughs> yeah, that, that, <laughs> I think that's been a problem too. He's always been injured. Yeah. And also, I don't know, he's just, he's just a little too aggressive. He's like that dude that you play pickup with that just like kind of random. He just kind of like goes in for slide tackles. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> it's like, like he always gets a yellow card every game, I feel like. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. And then he also, he's just not as clinical on like the passes or like just not as precise as we've seen a past Thiago at Barcelona or Bayern Munich was. Because mm-hmm. like even saw in the Euros this past summer, like Thiago, you get subbed in and then just turns over the ball like 10 times. It's like, mm-hmm. what's going This is not the same Thiago. It's like, we don't know what's happening to him. Yeah. So that's the thing too. And then just Keita is just all injury prone too. And then Curtis Jones, unfortunately, also hit with the injury bug. So it's just of those well, three Harvey, players. Harvey Elliott listed. was supposed to be that guy, right? Before yeah, Harvey Elliott as well. It's just that injury bug has kind of shifted from the defense <laughs> from last season now to the midfield. Even Fabinho was out for a few. So... And then now Milner's out, the man who never gets injured. So <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? So, I mean, there's slightly like a, a safe for that, too. It's like it's just injuries just hitting the midfield pretty hard yeah. this season. All like, the run of games. There's so many, too many games. Exactly. Manchester yeah, United hit with the injury bug as well. <laughs> I feel like so, Chelsea have gotten lucky. Chelsea have Lukaku. gotten lucky. Like, I think mm-hmm. Lukaku and Werner have been like injured every so often. But like their key midfield and defender pieces have not been injured i don't think mm-hmm. which is like and man city actually i think man city have gotten pretty free of the injury bug as well but they also man city does have two starting 11 so <laughs> i mean you can never really tell yeah with man city <laughs> um but i was gonna say that uh one quick thing is that trent um trent alexander arnold he scored a really good free kick um pretty crazy like uh like he's been back in form but the defenders in the premier league especially the right backs uh jao Cancelo. Reese James and Trent Alexander-Arnold, they have, I believe, all of them have at least two goals and have multiple assists so far in the Premier League. Just pretty crazy numbers for um, a couple of fullbacks in the Premier League. I think it's really cool to see that, especially um, how important, I guess, fullbacks are to the attacking side of the game now compared to, you know, maybe 10 years ago where it's more about the defensive side of the work they do. But uh, it's good to see Trent kind of being back in like full form again because he he was kind of teetering a little bit last season, but it seems like he finally has his footing again, at least attacking wise, um, you know, scoring free kicks, getting um, those insane crosses in and just delivering, you know, delivering the goods for Liverpool in the attacking attacking third. That's a, that's a really good point to bring up that. I also I also saw like that stat that I think you're probably referring to the same stat that we saw like all over social media this past weekend where it's like, yeah. man, all these fullbacks are just getting are creating all the chances that are kind of scoring the goals. Like, you know, Ben Chilwell on the left back. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. think it's Chelsea's highest goal scorer. Oh, title, yeah, true. Reese James. I'm like, what's going on? That's true. And I feel like it also kind of shows generationally how impactful the fullback position is like right back and left back. Because, you know, even back in the day, like 10 years ago. You can think of like the best right and left backs, like, you know, Ashley Cole, Glenn Johnson. At times it was like Ivanovich <laughs> for Chelsea. It's like, what what the heck? Or like, you know, Bakary Sanya. I'm going to throw back names. They're very much players that, you know, some of them were good at crossing, but they're very much like, all right, you're going to stay back. You're just going to, you know, help yeah. with the defense. And even when you play, you know, rec soccer or even, you know, high school soccer, things like that when I was growing up. That position was also like one of like the least important, in my opinion. It was like, <laughs> all right, we're gonna put whoever has played the least minutes in their career or like just starting, we'll put them there because mm-hmm. it's like all they have to do is just track down and just man mark the winger or yeah. something like that. They never really move past the s- CDMs or like midfield line. Those are they're always like aligned with the center backs at times. And then if they had to put in a deep cross it'd be from pretty far back. <laughs> so <laughs> you would rarely see him kind of make bombing runs. And if they do, it's like, oh, they better be fast to get back. <laughs> but now I feel like the fullbacks are used as like an overload where yeah. it's, you know, you have the front three, the front two, the front four at times from the midfield and attack, just always like running forward. But then 
if you need the extra person to kind of make that left back from the opposition team or like the center backs kind of have to decide who to defend, you bring in that fullback to kind of force the opposition defense to be like, all right, we're we're kind of screwed right now. (laughs) We're we're being outnumbered. And that's when that, you know, fullback might have like a free shot. It's like, oh, no one's on me. All right. Reese James is going to rip one from the top of the box. Mm -hmm. Or Trent Alexander-Arnold is just going to rip across for someone else to, you know, get the header on. And that's usually how Trent Alexander-Arnold gets so many chances created too. Because like he makes those bombing runs for it and also stays up. And then it forces opposition to be like, all right, someone's got to mark him. <laughs> and usually someone else is always free because of that. Yeah. And that's who Trent Alexander-Arnold usually finds like a, a long pass or a cross. So like that's pretty cool to see is just like that position kind of growing. Because think about it now, I'm always like, you know, right and left back. It's always... Ah, <laughs> it's yeah. always like the the least cool position. It's like I don't know what the equivalent is from like other sports. Maybe it's like a center for basketball or like, mm, or like a wide receiver three <laughs> yeah. for for football. Mm-hmm. But it was always like you know it was, it was never like the 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 main position that everyone wants to pick. But now I'm like that. I feel like could be one of the most important positions now in yeah. modern football. Yeah, because you, cause you're like, seeing a lot of like even converted wingers, like you're seeing wingers turn into fullbacks. Like I know for Real Madrid, they've been playing, um, forgetting the wingers. Lucas Vasquez. Yeah, Lucas Vasquez, like at least Zidane was as a right back um, last mm-hmm. season. And we've seen it count, countless amount of times with like likes of Antonio Valencia and Ashley Young being converted fullbacks where their defensive abilities weren't the best, but they're, they were converted there to be better attacking, you know, outlets for the team. So it's something that's definitely been a trend, and those uh, those three players have just been killing it, or those four have been just killing it on the uh, fullback position. But um, I guess staying on Liverpool real quickly, I know uh, their sporting director, oddly enough, we were talking about sporting director earlier, um, Michael Edwards stepping down um, 10 years, after 10 years at the club. And then you said, like, Julian Ward, who's the assistant sporting director, will take over at the end of the season, um, mm-hmm. which is big news because, you know, um, as Tyler put on the bullet points, he was... Uh, uh, Michael Edwards, at least, he was kind of the main main person that kind of took charge and has led this huge resurgence of Liverpool these past couple of seasons. He was basically the main sporting director under Klopp because he was sporting director for like the past five years, but he was at the club for the past 10. Mm-hmm. And he was he had a very distinct transfer policy, I would say. Like he, he would always get his, his transfers in early. It was It was always like... All right, we know which players are coming in. And it was also really quiet, too. Like, it was never the players you'd see in the transfer rumors. Like, you know, Fabinho, for example, like, he just popped in. I was like, what the heck? How do we, how do we get that? <laughs> That's insane. And he was also really quick to just to get transfers done because think about it. It's like Navigator, Fabinho, like the list goes on, and like, you know, Sadio Mane. Like, you can literally list most of the starting 11 right now. And that was under Michael Edwards. And, he worked his magic to bring in like world class players that no one really thought about as like kind of making that leap into being the next big thing. And he he was one of the main pivot points for like why Liverpool made that jump for, you know, not even qualifying for Champions League to now consistently staying in there and fighting for the title. So his he he had like a letter that was kind of written out to Liverpool fans. It's just like, you know. It was kind of like a breakup almost, except it was kind of weird. <laughs> it was like he he kind of set a marker for him. He's like, I'll only be at the club for 10 years maximum, like no matter what. And like it hit the 10 years this upcoming year. So it was like, it's my time to leave. And his reasoning for it is because every club kind of needs a new vision whenever he's whenever, you know, they're kind of progressing. And he feels like if he's there for too long, it'll be too stagnant, too stale. And he needs to have a new individual come in or after him to kind of have that new vision, the new ideas. And I, he feels like that 10 years mark is like a good mark to kind of be like, all right, I've made my mark. I've done my, I've, I've made my points. I've done my work. It's time for someone else to kind of put in their own ideas. Mm-hmm. And that's where Julian Ward comes in. The, the former assistant, or I guess he's currently still the assistant because Michael Edwards is still going to be here the rest of the season. But Julian Ward's kind of been working under him for the past few seasons. And now he's going to be taking over for him. And hopefully he kind of implements kind of like the same thinking and the same kind of 
what's the, what's the word for it? The Strategy. same strategies. Yes. That <laughs> kind of worked for Michael Edwards this past several seasons, but also brings in something new because, you know, more recently, I know Liverpool are also kind of bringing in more players from the academy. I was like, you know, Curtis Jones breaking through Trent Uggs and Arnold back in the starting 11 since he was just like a wee lad <laughs> from the academy. And now he's just basically a consistent starter. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty key too. So hopefully kind of like a mix of those two kind of bring in, but that's just kind of wild to even hear. It's like, usually you don't hear someone stepping down from a position if they're finding success. Yeah. Usually it's usually it's from all oh, the struggling. They made a few <laughs> bad transfers, you know, <laughs> Liverpool or like fighting relegation, something like that, or like they're not getting into the European competitions. That's yeah. when you start seeing people get fired. But, you know, Michael, Michael Edwards, he decided it's like, you know, my time is now. And that's just that's just wild to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really sad for Liverpool fans across the board to, to be like, oh, man, we're losing a really good sporting director. Because I know you rant about yours and <laughs> you all the time. It's like, please leave Ed Woodward. Gosh, dang. So seeing a good one to kind of step down. It, it was. I, I don't know how Liverpool are going to do it, but at the same time, you know, maybe having a new vision, a new sporting director come in could maybe help sustain Liverpool because, you know, there is that point where it was really hard for Liverpool to get back in the Champions League, get back to winning a title, mm-hmm. get back to finally winning a Champions League. But since then, you know, they've kind of been teetering from injuries and also this season as well, just lack of defensive consistency and maybe having a new sporting director kind of come in. It's like, all right, what what can we bring in to kind of help with the team to kind of sustain success? Maybe that could be a good transition now for like a Julian Ward or mm-hmm. it's like Michael Edwards was here to help bring us back into success and then maybe a new sporting director can help sustain it. Yeah. But I mean, that's just all theory right now. We're going to see how it goes, but yeah, you know, that's just how it is for me. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of hard I, news to hear. I think, um, I think Liverpool are pretty good, like pretty well run clubs. So I think, you know, they probably, I don't think this is probably out of the blue, like, retirement or him stepping down i feel like these talks have been ongoing within you know high level officials at liverpool for a while so i think they uh you know just from the outside looking in i think they're a pretty well-run club so i think they they definitely know what they're doing and this is a a move they probably planned for and something they've been looking at for a while now so um i think they'll be in a good spot and like you said sometimes you know that new energy or that new vision and leadership can sometimes um, bring some good changes because sometimes it can shake things up and, you know, sometimes things could get a little complacent and that shakeup can help boost, uh, boost everyone up. So we'll see. I think, I think Liverpool will be fine, but it's definitely a key note to kind of put out that, you know, he was kind of the mainstay for Klopp uh, in terms of bringing all the big players in that you see now in Liverpool starting 11. So we'll see, Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens, but a team that I would say, needs to go through that or has been going through that or will be going through that is uh, Newcastle. They finally got their new manager, Eddie Howe, after reports were that Unai Emery could be interested in the project. He um, essentially just turned them down um, a week and a half ago and they turned their efforts to Eddie Howe. And it looked like that it wasn't going to happen at one point because he couldn't get his back staff to be finalized. But um, everything went through. Eddie Howe is now the new Newcastle manager and now his first mission is to get Newcastle United out of the relegation zone. And right now, that's going to be a really tough task because they have been teetering. And Eddie Howe, as we mentioned, you remember his last time in the Premier League with Bournemouth when he was in the relegation battle, he just could not do enough to get them out of it. He just kept staying in that you know that relegation fight. But um, the good side of Eddie Howe was that he did a really good job with Bournemouth. He was kind of one of the hot name, like hot young managers in the Premier League for the his first, I would say, three seasons at Bournemouth where people were talking about, could he be, you know, the next person to take over Arsene Wenger? Could he be, you know, at Tottenham? Could he get a chance at the Leicester City job? I mean, his name was kind of out there, like a buzzy name. And then um, once he got relegated, that uh, kind of that luster of Eddie Howe kind of went away. But as we've seen from his time at the Premier League, he does have a very clear vision of, you know, playing attacking football, not being afraid, no matter who the competition is, um, and kind of getting the most out of, you know, random players, some young youth products, um, and, you know, just kind of maximizing the talent in his squad. So I think Newcastle will have a pretty talented squad. So I think the likes of Miguel Almiron and Alan St. Maximum and Callum Wilson are going to really thrive under Eddie Howe. So it'll be exciting to see if Miguel Almiron can actually um, 
perform to the Atlanta United level beyond your own right now. And then Ryan Frazier is <laughs> reunited back with his old manager, Eddie yeah. Howe, who he's trying to leave in the first place. So, <laughs> I mean, that's going to be a little awkward, but maybe it will kind of revitalize his career as well because, you know, Ryan Frazier is one of, at one point, he had the most assists in yeah. one of his prime seasons at Bournemouth. Yeah. And, you know, Eddie Howe was also the main man who helped bring Bournemouth up like four tiers of English yeah. football. So, if that has anything to do with it, I was surprised that he was like out of work for the past year and a half at this point mm-hmm. where, you know, he was basically a hot name. But then right after he was kind of on everyone's ears and then Bournemouth got relegated and he's like, all right. And everyone just kind of forgot about him. Yeah. So I was like, man, it's just one, <laughs> that one kind of big season for them just to get relegated. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible thing to happen, but <laughs> I mean, at the same time, it's like, you kind of have to remember all the things he did before that. And Eddie Howe coming as Newcastle manager, I feel like it's also the right culture set for Newcastle. I feel like this is a big move in terms of like what kind of vision Amanda Savely and them want and like Saudi Arabians, I guess, (laughs) want for the club. Because I feel like he would be one of those managers that would try to develop players and kind of be one with the locker room rather than kind of more of the most one of the more stoic managers is just like, you know, I'm here to kind of do the job and kind of you know, get the job done and get the results. But I feel like Eddie Howe puts a little bit above a step above that by kind of making sure the players are like, you know, all mentally there, kind of bring out the most of like the smaller players, as you mentioned, kind of like those random players. You never really think about like Stanislas, for example, back in mm-hmm. the Bournemouth days or, you know, Arthur Boric, that, that keeper. Oh, yeah. He, he has like the random- being like one yeah, of the Nathan hot and like it's all of these players is like oh, they, Joshua they, Kane too. Yeah. yeah. And then now it's like uh, most of those players from that starting 11 on the Bournemouth side, you don't even hear about him anymore. He's like, you, you probably haven't heard the name Stanislas for like, <laughs> since that's, a, relegated. that's a throwback. I haven't heard that name in forever. So I think Eddie Howe can kind of maybe even bring out a player that's been in Newcastle purgatory that we even heard out from the grave and then maybe bring out the most of them or maybe mm-hmm. revitalize a career like Ryan Frazier or yeah. You know, I'm my own. So <laughs> I, I'm a really excited for this move for Eddie Howe and Newcastle. Like, I think it's a really good match in heaven, but results are a big thing, obviously, for football. That really determines how well someone really does. It can't be like, oh, they're doing great. They're feeling great. They're looking great. And then they're just, you know, it's like that meme of that guy who wins like third place in the Olympics or something. And he's just like celebrating champagne and everything. And everyone's just looking down from the higher ends of the podium. <laughs> just celebrating being in third whereas for you know Newcastle they got to get out of relegation and if you know they play good football and all that and they still get relegated then it's there's really no point so yeah. they still got to get the results and get at least 17th place <laughs> ideally higher but mm-hmm. you know beggars can't be choosers and I feel like coming in at week 11 or 10 of the wait let me see yeah week 12 of the Premier League it's basically one third into the season. So he still has a lot of time to kind of save them, but it's going to be a tall ask because at the same time, you know, you are inheriting a Newcastle side that's always been struggling with relegation. And that has to do with, you know, talent as well. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know. I feel like I I was just say this. I don't know. I'm just, I'll say this. I don't think Eddie Howe can do enough to keep Newcastle up um, this season. Um, I think with uh, everything that went down, it would just be hilarious for my end to just see them get relegated um, with all the money they've invested because I think that would just be hilarious. But I don't think um, I just don't think he'll do enough, unfortunately, to keep Newcastle up because, yeah, I, I'll just stick to it. I, I don't think I need to have a reason. I'm just going to go for I don't think he'll do enough to keep them up. I mean, I can see that happening, too. It's just it'll be it'll be hard. I don't know if, you know, we, it's too early to even see what kind of owners that new board and Amanda Savely are going to be. It's like if they do get relegated, do they keep Eddie Howe? Kind of like when Newcastle got relegated a few seasons ago. with oh, yeah, Benitez. Benitez stayed. Yeah. And they're like, all right, yeah, thank you for staying. And then they brought him back immediately. <laughs> so I don't know if that's going to happen. But like, that's why I'm saying, like, if they can get 17th, then that's ideal. Mm-hmm. And like. At the bare minimum, because, you know, Newcastle, I think they're going to be struggling. And the main thing is, like, can they beat 
out a Burnley and Watford. Like Norwich is for sure going to get relegated, like one hundred percent. But the other two that will be joining. I think I, them. I think I trust Sean Dyche to just you know do do enough to like you know maybe sneak out some you know crazy results here and there because he's been. They proven. usually do, but it's just this season so far they haven't been like the same Burnley as they mm-hmm. were in the past. Like Tarkowski hasn't you know this is gonna be a whole other conversation, but. You know, Burnley hasn't been as great, but I feel like that Watford side, they can slip into that relegation zone. <laughs> Maybe that could be that third team. So that's what I'm saying. But anyhow, yeah. great move. Yeah, I, I like it. Yeah, so we'll see how it goes with Eddie Howe. Obviously, he still hasn't had his first match yet. We're still in international break, and we'll see how actually the first match is against Brentford. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. But um Overall, good move. I just don't think it's going to help them in terms of staying up in the Premier League. I think that the damage has been done. But uh, one last tidbit before we, I guess, sign off is that uh, Wrexham United have been bought by um, Ryan Reynolds and Rob. Uh, how do you say McElhenney? Yeah, McElhenney. Yeah. Basically, um, Mac from Always Sunny. Yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't actually. I haven't watched uh, Always Sunny. I need to. I've. Uh, Great I, show. Yeah, I like uh, what's his name, Charlie Day. I like him. Yeah, as Charlie Day. Yeah, he's funny. Um, I haven't had a chance to watch that show. I need to watch it. But Ryan Reynolds, obviously, famous actor, uh, Deadpool. He plays his, uh He plays Deadpool, and obviously, he's been in a ton of other movies and uh, films. So. Really famous, a uh, couple famous actors. They actually bought the club. So as Tyler mentioned, it's like real life career mode. <laughs> yeah, it's like a random Welsh club, and they recently bought them. And they're the more involved owners. They they said like one of like the first days they were there, they kind of showed up and kind of went into the town and you know had drinks of all the fans and everything. I'm like, that's you never really hear of owners going in and kind of <laughs> being yeah. one with the fans and. I I forgot if they're going to have like a, a series or something kind of documenting this, but I just found it so goofy to see is like Deadpool and Mac <laughs> from Always Sunny. Just, they have a club now. I wonder how much it costs to buy it. I don't I know. I think what- it was really uh, compared to, you know, Premier League clubs. Yeah, it's still it's still a lot of money in, you know, relative terms as like a normal human being <laughs> with yeah. an average salary. But it, I think it was. Two million or something like that. It was. Yeah. It was not. You know, like a three hundred like million, two billion from like <laughs> Manchester United yeah. or, or like Arsenal, like yeah. kind of like one of those takeovers. So this was a lot smaller of a side, and like if you look at their stadium, it's kind of like <laughs> the capacity is probably like ten k. Yeah, people. That is most. cool. That is cool though, because I know. Um, I know Jamie Vardy. He actually. I don't know if he's a complete new owner, but he did purchase a stake into a a club and actually in New York City. Um, not not NYCFC, but it was like a small uh, division uh, club in, in New York, um, a mm. soccer club there. So it's pretty cool. I know Jamie Vardy's done it. I know a couple other players um, have done. I know Patrick Mahomes, he's bought like a small stake in the Sporting KC, the MLS yeah. side. Um, I know James Harden bought some for like Houston Dynamo. Uh, so like there's a lot of famous athletes that yeah, LeBron or, owns Liverpool. Yeah, of, yeah. Bron, Bron owns a stake in Liverpool. Um, so it's pretty cool to see, I guess, famous athletes or actors, you know, from all across the world just kind of come in and, you know, put their stake into a club. But actually, if they do put their stake in the club, actually, like, you know, go out of their way to care and, you know, look out for it and not just look at it as like some investment portfolio thing, investment mm-hmm. property type thing. And what made this one a little different is just like they had promos and like videos for them taking over the club. They had like a full trailer. It's like, all right, I'm Ryan and I'm Rob and now we're owners of Wrexham United. And then people in the chat like or in like the comments are like, um, like it's always like Mac from Always Sunny. He, the, the whole premise of the show is just like it's very satirical and like ironic. So it was like. Rob kind of came in as like, you know, we're going to come in and save the club. And then someone put in the comments, like the gang ruins Wrexham United. It's like, <laughs> it's like something like that happens. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes, because I feel like that's kind of like a dream for like people like us is like just to own a, a club like this or like mm-hmm. just say you, you're an owner of a club. So it's kind of cool to see like someone that I feel like everyone knows, at least for Deadpool, like Ryan Reynolds. Like they're now owner of a football club, mm-hmm. so yeah, you know, maybe it's, we'll hear about them more in the future or again. But that's 
kind of just random news out there. Yeah, that'd <laughs> random be cool. tidbits throw out there. That'd be cool if they continue to improve. Like you know, you can make minor improvements to the stadiums, bring in like kit sponsors. I don't. It's like yeah, like you said, it's just straight up real life career mode. See what you could do. Exactly. You can bring in <laughs> the Burger King logo. Yeah, <laughs> the there's, there's like real life consequences if you don't win, you lose money. <laughs> so which that that's the down part. But hey, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they have a decent amount of money to be able to even afford this, you know, investment. So they should be fine. Um, True. Yeah, but it was that. That's a really cool. That's a really cool note that you found. I, I I think I remember hearing about it, but I don't remember. I didn't remember the actual club they bought. So that's really cool that they were um, able to do that. So that's awesome. But mm. yeah, uh, like we said, there we're recording this during international break, so there are no um, upcoming league fixtures, no Premier League fi- fixtures. Um, so that kind of wraps up season four, episode one thirty one for us. As we always say, you can follow us on social media um, at Twitter and Instagram at the Premier Pod. You can also watch the video versions of this podcast on YouTube at the Premier Pod. Um, and if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and review. It helps us out, helps us get boosted, and helps us get noticed from. Um, other people out there but if you uh, don't want to leave a review simply just taking the time to listen is more than enough and if you want to share this podcast um, with a friend that's interested in the Premier League that's also a big help any support we get is definitely appreciated Um, but as we always say that kind of wraps up season 4 episode 131 for us thank you guys so much for listening peace peace peace